Well, our scripture this morning is taken from Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through, I mean, verses 1 through 10. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand of the seashore. They march across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. The fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So let me give you a a summary of what we just read. The dragon, or Satan, is bound, and he is thrown into the abyss. In Greek, abyss means without bottom. It's a bottomless pit. It's mentioned several times in Revelation, but we hear about it in Luke chapter 8, verse 31, where Jesus encounters a man possessed by many demons. In fact, he says his name is Legion because we are many. And the demons beg Jesus not to send them to the abyss. Obviously, demons don't want to go there. And so uh, there's a time when Satan is locked in the abyss. And then there's this judgment that occurs. And Jesus will reign with the saints for 1,000 years. The saints have been resurrected. They are reigning on the earth with Jesus. And then at the end of this thousand years, it can be a literal thousand years, some people interpret it as symbolic. Satan's released from the abyss. He is able to deceive the nations, but then he is finally defeated by Jesus and thrown into the lake of fire. 
That's the summary. But from this one passage, there are many interpretations. It brings up the idea of the millennium. Millennium literally means 1,000 years. And there are different denominations who exist because they had argued over the meaning of the millennium. Now I'm going to review these positions. And I will say up front that all of the positions we're going to talk about today can be backed up by scripture. They're held by people who believe in the truth and the infallibility of scripture. They are godly people. And so you can make a case for each one of them. Now we're gonna talk about millennium today because our passage actually brings up the concept. But our idea of millennium and judgment and Satan It affects how we view the world. It affects how we live our lives. So the passage begins with Satan's on the earth. And perhaps you've wondered, maybe people have asked, you know, why does God allow bad things to happen? Wouldn't a good God put a stop to it? But God created a, a good earth. He gave us free choice. And we used our free choice to believe the lies of the evil one. And when we did that, we basically handed the world over to him. And so the world's influenced by the evil one. We sin. And when we continue to sin, we bring misery upon the earth. So when people say, well, You know, why does a good God allow this? Well, God gives us free choice. We live in a consequential world where things we do have significance. Does God allow you to sin? He does. He allows us to sin. And he lets the consequences play out. But there will come a day when the king will return and make things right. And when people throw in my face, well, how can you believe in a God that would allow evil? I say to them, Scripture is true when it says that there is sin and evil on the earth and that the earth needs a savior. The millennial views look forward to a savior. Now, I'm going to introduce to you some ideas in in regards to the millennium. There is a pre-millennium, and there's a post-millennial view, and there's a all-millennial view, and they get their terms based on when the second coming of Jesus occurs. In pre-millennial, Jesus comes before the millennium. In post-millennial, Jesus comes after we've established the millennium. And then in all-millennial, it's a symbolic reign that Jesus is actually reigning now um, from heaven. So let's go through uh, the views. The first one I'll talk about is dispensational premillennialism. It's a recent theological view that came about pretty much around uh, the beginning of the 20th century. 
Um, John MacArthur would espouse this view. The Left Behind series is based on this theological system. You'll hear a lot of radio preachers talking about this point of view. A lot of the books on prophecy you find in Christian bookstores have this kind of view. But the view is this, Jesus came to earth. After he ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit was poured out, we are now in the church age. But the church age will end with the rapture of the church out of the world. And once that rapture occurs, there are seven years of tribulation. Jesus cut short those days by returning after the seven years. And when he returns, he binds Satan and he establishes his rule on the earth with Jerusalem as his capital. And he reigns on the earth with the saints for 1,000 years. Then Satan is released for a time. He deceives the nations. He gathers them for war at Armageddon. And, and then Satan is defeated. Then there's a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth. That's dispensational premillennialism. Let's go to historical premillennialism. This uh, view is called classical or historical because the early church fathers held to it. There are people today who would teach this. They would include Wayne Grudem, if you've read his systematic theology, uh, James Boyce, um, John Piper. Um, so there's, there's some good men who, who would espouse that. So they would teach that when Jesus came, the kingdom came. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is upon you. And if I cast out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so the kingdom is here. And you think of the kingdom as being like D-Day when the allies established a beachhead on the continent of Europe. And from that beachhead, they went about to conquer uh, the Axis forces. The kingdom is here but it's not here yet in its fullness. There will come a time of great tribulation upon the earth that, that the church will have to suffer through and endure. And then when Jesus returns, that's when the rapture occurs. They meet the Lord in the air and they then descend to heaven as fellow conquerors. Then there's this period on the earth when Jesus will reign on the earth. Could be a thousand years, could be uh, symbolic for a really long time. But then at the end of it, Satan's released. He deceives the nations. Satan is defeated. And then there's a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, next view. Post-millennialism. Um, Jonathan Edwards was a post-millennialist. Uh, Charles Hodge was a famous Presbyterian theologian. Uh, Abraham Kuyper and kind of the Dutch Reformed wing of things were big into post-millennialism. It was popular until World War I and II, and then it kind of killed it, and you'll see why. There's the first coming of Jesus and he establishes his kingdom. 
and the role of the church is to expand the kingdom of God. And as the church obeys Christ and preaches the kingdom, people come under the rule of Christ. They manifest the kingdom in in, uh, bringing Christian uh, virtues to the culture. The culture is transformed. And as the gospel goes out to the ends of the earth, we'll eventually transform culture by the gospel of Christ. It's an optimistic view, and it means that we bring about the millennium because Jesus has bound Satan for us and has given us power through his spirit to do it. But towards the end of the age, Satan is released, Satan is defeated, and then there's the second coming of Jesus. The rapture would occur then, caught up with Jesus in the air, and then you come back to the earth, and then there's a new heaven and a new earth, a new creation. That's post-millennialism. And then we have the all-millennial view. And awe doesn't deny millennium, it just denies that there's a physical millennium here on the earth. So Jesus came, he came as king. He bound Satan while he was on earth. Jesus says, if I bind the strong man, I can plunder his house. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Paul tells us he defeated the principalities and powers at the cross. Satan was bound and defeated, and he's been in the abyss. So why all the evil stuff? Well, Satan's in the abyss, but he still has demonic henchmen roaming around on the earth. But when Christ ascended, he was enthroned. He rules now. He rules in the hearts of his people. He is actually ruling and governing the earth. But towards the end of the age, Satan will be released, and then he'll be defeated. Then there's a a second coming. The rapture happens at that second coming where the saints you know, um, meet Jesus in the air, and then Jesus ushers in a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth. Some people will say they're pan-millennialist. It'll all pan out in the end. Let me throw out one more view. It's called a preterist view. And preterists will say that everything in the book of Revelation, that maybe the last two chapters has already happened. That Jesus warned the seven churches of a tribulation. They went through it because there were 10 Roman emperors that persecuted the church. It ended with Constantine. But with Constantine, the church gained ascendancy and that Christ rules through his church. And so everything has already pretty much happened. Okay, now that you're thoroughly confused, let's affirm what they hold in common. They affirm the second coming of Jesus, bodily and physically. They affirm the reign of Christ, Satan's defeat, a new creation, a judgment, a lot in common, they all share those. But unfortunately, that's not sufficient commonality to have people not argue over the matter. 
they divide into camps, and, and everyone's entitled to their view, and, and you can have different positions on this, but to have disunity over it, to accuse your brothers and sisters of falsehood over this, I think we have to be humble enough to admit what we don't know for sure. Now, uh, I learned a lot of my eschatology from R.C. Sproul. He said, you have to show grace to others on this because it's too difficult for us to know how these prophecies will play out. We have 20-20 hindsight when it comes to the first coming of Jesus. And those people who knew the scripture best back when he first came, the religious leaders and the scribes, they got it wrong. Even the apostles got it wrong until the Holy Spirit descended on them. So we don't have the benefit of 20-20 hindsight. I think we have to be humble enough to admit what we don't know for sure. Now, where, where does our church fall on these positions? Well, we have the essentials of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And here's how it reads regarding the end of days. Jesus Christ will come again to the earth, personally, visibly, and bodily, to judge the living and the dead, and to consummate history and the eternal plan of God. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So they're going to want you to land on Jesus coming back to earth. They're going to want you to affirm that there's a judgment. They're going to want you to affirm that Jesus is going to consummate his plan for history. All of the views I just told you about fit within the essentials of the faith. And there are people in the EPC who would hold all the views I just told you about. But we affirm that we're brothers and sisters in Christ and that godly people and biblical people can differ. And so in essentials, unity. Non-essentials, liberty. And all things, love. So... Why does any of this matter? Well, first of all, there's a, a message of hope here. The world will be as God intended it. It awaits the return of our true king. And there is a degree to which he rules now, but we, and we are to submit to it. But there is a time when his full rule will come. And we look forward to that. Things will be made right. Not only does millennium bring us hope, but it affects how we live our lives. For example, the judgment should make a difference in how we live our lives. I was talking to an unbeliever once, and they said, we don't need a judgment you would live the same life you live if you didn't believe. That's what he said to me. He goes, so wouldn't you be the same person if you didn't believe in a judgment? And I said, no. There are some temptations that come through my mind 
that I dismiss right away and say, I'm not even going to go there because I know I have to answer to God for them at the judgment. Maybe you're holier than me, but I really do think that the judgment is a disincentive to sin and an incentive to godly living. And then this chapter 20, verses 1 through 10, helps us see the world as it is. That there is an adversary. There is a devil. The devil deceives the nations. This is why the world is the way it is. But God will not allow it to go on forever. God will intervene. And there is a resurrection for his saints. And there is a co-rule with Christ. There's hope. I think our millennial views make a difference in how we live out Christianity. Um, let's put the pre-mill views, let's put up dispensational preview and then the historical pre-mill. There's slight differences with them, but I think it makes a difference. So in dispensational premillennialism, Jesus comes and then begins the church age. And we kind of are just waiting for Jesus to come back and make things right. Things are gonna get worse, but eventually Jesus comes and makes things right. Okay, now let's put up historical pre-mill. Historical pre-mill would say the kingdom came with Jesus. And part of our job and part of our obedience is to expand the kingdom of God and to uh, manifest the kingdom and how we live and try to bring kingdom values to the culture and the society. We're not giving up on the culture. We're doing our best to bring about the kingdom of God. But we know that we're gonna need Jesus to consummate it. So there's a slight difference in thinking there. There's also a difference in thinking in terms of when the church is raptured and whether we live through the tribulation or not. So in dispensational premillennialism, the church is raptured out of the world and then comes the tribulation. And if that's your position, you're thinking, But historical premillennialism would say the church has always suffered. Jesus has warned us that we have to endure through suffering. So these people have in mind, I have to be ready to endure hardship and suffering. What difference does that make? I had someone say to me once, one weekend, they say, oh, in a few weeks, I'm going to drive up to Mount Whitney and, and climb Mount Whitney. And I said, you know, I climbed that mountain once. You know, it's the tallest mountain, lower 48. And I said, that was the hardest thing I've ever done physically in my life. And I was 28 years old and in shape when I did it. You gotta be prepared to do that. And I go, oh, I didn't really think about that. 
I already see the pressure in the world to not stand up for the values of the kingdom. I mean, this amendment is kind of putting pressure on churches and on us. It's just the beginning, folks. It's going to get harder. The time to be ready for it is now. And so I think it, it's to our benefit to be prepared to suffer. And so a millennial view um, makes a difference in how we live our lives. Let's look at all millennial view. Strong view. Um, I can see where, yes, Jesus reigns now from earth. But what about uh, the prophecies in the Old Testament? Like the lion will lay down with the lamb and we'll beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks and the king will reign from Zion. They'll say they all apply to the church, but I have a tough time thinking they all apply to the church. And if Jesus is reigning now, we're kind of content with that. While I think a premillennial view makes the heart long for the coming of Jesus. Now, having said all that, here's where I want us to land. I want us to land on Jesus as king. The kingdom came with Jesus. There's a degree to which he rules now from heaven. There's a degree to which that that Satan is is limited. And we're to submit to the rule of Christ in our hearts. And we are to bound ourselves together to advance the kingdom of God across the earth. We need Jesus to come and consummate history and make things right. There will be a judgment. We have to answer to him. There is also a resurrection and the saints who love him will rule with him. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. I told you I I took theology from R.C. Sproul. So he was giving us a lecture on these four views. He really presented them without prejudice. He just told us, here's the scriptures backing up each one. And then he kind of ended his lecture. And if you YouTube R.C. Sproul Millennial Views, that lecture is similar to the one we got in class. But at the end of our class, R.C. finishes his lecture and one of the students says to him, Which position are you? Kind of, he always had his hands in his pockets. Um, He paused because he didn't want to be pigeonholed in any particular position. He goes, well, you know, we have to have humility because we just don't know for sure how it's all going to play out. And they go, we want to know where you stand. Well, sometimes, most of the time, I lean on millennial. But sometimes I think I'm a historical pre-mill. 
And lately, I've been thinking about a preterist view. But regardless of where I lean or where we lean, we're standing on Christ. We always stand on Christ. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we worship you as the King. Lord Jesus, you are the Lamb upon the throne. And we worship you. You are our King forever. And Lord, we submit our hearts to your rule. We say, yes, Lord. We know that in this world where evil is done and we are tempted and evil is done against us and we struggle with the things of the world, oh Lord, we rejoice that we are kept not by our strength but by yours. And so we look forward to being held until the day when you will either call us home or you will return to earth with glorious majesty. Oh, how we long for that day. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.